Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. While not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful rash that can last for weeks. Wake up, because shingles could wake up in you. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Can we all just tip really well in the pandemic? So now... You see, when you order food in, they'll off, they'll say 15, 20, 25%. That's what really only happens when you're in a restaurant and someone brings food to your table. They're actually working. This usually the delivery person isn't getting the same as a server who served your whole meal. Guess what? You gotta dig deep. Now's the time to tip. I have been tipping 40, and I know I'm wealthy. I know it. It means it means more to them than it does to me. So whatever you can do, but some people are still going through that, you know, 15 to 20% mentality of tipping. Everybody's been through it. It's terrible to get good staff now in restaurants, in stores. It's impossible. And everyone's, just everyone's been through it. Just tip really, really well. Just understand that that's part of the whole program. If you're leaving the house, if you're ordering food, no matter where you are, what you're doing, if you're being serviced in any way. Grabbing your bag, getting your car, helping you out, bringing something to a hotel room, bringing, you know, shoveling your snow, doing your landscaping, whatever it is, tip really, really well. It's the time for it. And people really do notice it. And some people really forget it. Today's guest is Huma Abedin. She is a high-profile politician most known for her role as vice chair for Hillary Clinton's 
2016 presidential campaign. She is a Muslim American woman who spent much of her life in Saudi Arabia. Her road to becoming a well-known political staffer has not been easy. From starting out with an internship at the White House to becoming Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, Huma is a force to be reckoned with in the political field. She is here to talk about it, go there, and explain her life and journey on her own terms. She recently authored and published her memoir titled Both and A Life in Many Worlds, a New York Times bestseller. This book explores her personal and political life, very intertwined. Though she's been faced with hardship over the years, Huma is able to rise through it all. Huma's tale of triumph is sure to inspire you all. So um, you've had an incredibly interesting life. Uh, I, I, one of the first things that jumped off the page is just growing up and if you felt, I spoke to um, Bozema St. John who was saying that she felt so different being in this country and that her family ate different food and that she always just felt a little bit different and had to find a way to really shine and be herself. And she walks into... Netflix meetings in full sequence and you know she's totally owned who she is but I just wonder if uh being quote-unquote culturally different how that has affected your life your childhood the way you see things the way you've acted had to be strong that kind of thing you know for me and first of all I love Bozema she's a dear friend and I can totally I was nodding as you were describing her that way because I have been in a meeting and seeing her walk in in some beautiful spectacular outfit, which she's always in, and then has something brilliant to say in every meeting. But, you know, for me, I think it's the way I was raised. My parents, both, you know, immigrants raised us to come to this country. I mean, they did this themselves. When they came to this country, they kept their cultural traditions that were important to them, but they really did believe in assimilating. They did believe in reaching out to the local, the the community and feeling, and and they raised us as Americans. Even though I grew up in Saudi Arabia, the one identity my parents, our primary identity was to be an American. And so I had that confidence um, in me and I, I, I do think also a great gift I, I received from my parents was traveling all over the world, just being a little girl and going into other cultures. You know, my son is now 10 and he brought me on his iPad the other day, um, uh, this story about a tsunami in Asia. And, and I was thinking, you know, when I was your age, I was walking the streets of Bangkok. I went to Jakarta. I went to Tokyo. It was this, you know, in some ways we're a much more connected world, but in other ways we are, you know, so, so separated and far apart. I think my parents exposing me to so many different cultures meant that when I walked in to both university, George Washington University in 1993, and then the White House in 1996, I kind of had a confidence. I liked the fact that I was different. I had a different perspective. I, I, I knew I was different. I kind of liked it. Ah, um, that's nice. Leaning into it com- versus wanting to be. hundred percent. I hundred percent leaned into it. I embraced it. And in some ways I still do. I'm still in many ways, often the only me in, in the room, the only person who has that kind of background and experience and cultural and language experience. And so I've never, it's never been negative except for when things got ugly, you know, during the. Oh, well then people go for the low hanging insult. So I think it's great for us to be able to really show our children how to be confident and lean into whatever it is, you know, being just beautiful, being who you are. It's easier said than done, but by leading by example, you know, because your name, 
alone is different, you know, and probably was as a child. So I just like that for the younger yeah. generation. But there are some things, the point that you just made about my name, like my little boy, his name is Jordan. And I picked that name aside from the name at significance and you know, he's named after the Jordan river. But one of the reasons I chose that name is that it's a simple name. I don't have to explain to people mm -hmm. what it means. And I am that person who spent her entire life saying, no, H-U-M-A. And it's like Uma Thurman, but with an H and you pronounce the H. Right. See, there are certain things. I mean, you actually pick, you're picking up on something very, uh, I thought very specific and right is that there are certain things that you, you know, you do negotiate on, but other things that, you know, I, he, I raise him to be proud of his faith and cultural traditions, but there, yeah, there's some things we accommodate change on. Not, yeah. And, but it has the meaning. So it's yes. still the meaning still there. Yeah. Um, so you've managed many people and had to interface. You're constantly interfacing with different types of people being very diplomatic, having to be that sort of hub switchboard connector. Um, what's your work? What is your work style, your organizational style, your getting things done style? What, what, what is that? Well, well, it's in my book. I have a, a little booklet and I put a little a square, empty square and with the, whatever the to-do is. And that's my Bible. That's how I get, that's how I get things done. Cause you often are juggling a million things. At least I am. And I have been for a long time. And so my lists, I live by my lists and staying completely organized. And I've also felt like as I've gotten older, I've gotten more OCD, like just everything in my house, my apartment needs to be Same. organized and my closet needs to be clean. And Same. I can't function. I know. Otherwise, I know. <laughs> it's the only way to get so much, like your condiments are organized yes. and you, you don't have a junk drawer. My, it's in my book that says I don't have a junk drawer. Yeah. Like, cause I get it. Your, your produce drawer. I know because I think it's probably because you've seen so much and had to organize so many things in your life professionally yes. that it just, you start to see it closer to home and with the pandemic, but in your desk and the order means you can get more things done. You're not like muddling through what's in front of you. 100%. I, and I also feel like so much of my life for many years, I was out of my control. Just things were happening to me mm -hmm. so that the things I can control and that I can organize. I never thought we would have so much in common. That, my childhood is why I'm so organized now because I was moving everywhere and had none of my pictures yeah. from my childhood. We just, I just never knew where anything was and I couldn't control that. But, and the same thing with work. That's amazing. Wow. That's wild. So what, um, your parents, what was, what was work in your house? What was the, what did the word work or career or money mean as a child? Like what, what did, what did you go into the world wanting to do or thinking that that meant? I think for my parents, you know, my, uh, from my far earliest memories, I had to work in my dad's office. He, both my parents were academics. My mother was a sociology professor at a girls college and my father was a political scientist and, um, and started a, 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 a foundation and that produced an academic journal twice a year that um, researched the Muslim minority situation around the world. And so ever since I was six, seven, eight, we, the work ethic in our house was such that it was, you had to do the work and then you could play. So it was, it, it was balance and it was a good balance. I would sharpen the pencils in my dad's office, or I'd type up little index cards or help him with mailing. So there was a sense of purpose, a sense of doing something. And then we could still go out and play and do things. It's just like the way we ate, you know, balanced meals. I could have ice cream, but I always had to have my fruits and vegetables first. And so my parents were always working. I felt as though even at dinner, after dinner, I'd walk into the kitchen. My mother would be grading papers. My dad would be writing or reading. 
it was a very academically centered thing. My parents traveled a lot for conferences. So I always wanted to do something I thought was contributing to something. I never thought very much about money. We were comfortable middle-class family. We were growing, we lived in Saudi Arabia where, you know, the average, you know, you, you could live well because so many of your expenses were paid for you because they wanted to have experts, foreign experts come. At the time, the country was really just newly flushed with oil money. So we had a good life. I never worried about money, which is very funny because I worry about money all the time now. Noise. I call it money noise. I have it too. It's this constant concern that it's not going to be enough. I'm not going to be able to make enough. And how do I do it? And it's amazing because I did not grow up feeling insecure about money at all. And I don't know if it's a age thing, it's a cultural thing, if it's something, you know, that uh, happens uh, as we get older. But that's why when I saw Christian Amanpour on my TV in 1990, you know, uh, two, I thought I want to be her. She was out in the world. It was the middle of the first, it was the first Gulf War. She was reporting on the war in Iraq. And I thought, She's a truth teller. She's powerful. She's fearless. I want to be her. I had to see it. And I had to see it to understand I could be it. But do you feel like you have, achieved, I mean, you've achieved so much, but in a different package. Yes. And I still think I might want to become Christian Amanpour. I mean, you know, Bethany, because I was going to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was going to ask you is one of my questions. I, I say it all the time. Like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I was actually, that's talking- so weird. I had that as a question. So I've never asked that to anybody. I was going to ask you of all people, cause you're pretty grown up. What I, do you want to be when you grow up? No, I, I, I was talking to my friend, Mike, just before I got on with you. And I said, I have to figure out, he's like, how's it going? And I said, I'm having the best time. I'm loving being on the book tour. I love the interviews. But guess what? I now have to figure out what I want to be when I grow up because I have found, and you've read the book, Bethany, that my entire professional life, somebody has offered me something and I have said yes in terms of a job. I have never asked for something. I have never been ambitious about something. And in fact, one of the stories that got cut from the book was actually, maybe I did leave it in there, was being offered a position when I worked in uh, the Obama administration. They asked if I wanted uh, 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 to be considered for a position, me or this other man. And we're sitting in the same room. And I said, oh, no, no, you should hire him. The first thing I said was hire him because I just assumed he was going to be better than me and smarter than me and more qualified than me. And he did get the job and it was an amazing, huge job. And he did do a great job. And I think now me at 46, I have to shift the way I think and go out into the world and say, I want this and I could do it really well. And, and I have to figure out what that is. I mean, I, this is my year of saying yes. I've stolen that from Shonda Rhimes. But saying yes also means I have to ask. And I think that's something I've really only learned in the last couple of weeks. Like this book tour has just blown my mind in terms of how intense it's been for my schedule. But I have to make that shift. And so I'm, I'm beginning to think through that and figuring out what it is I want to do. And it might be something in the media space, but I know it's not going to be, you know, public office. Uh, but I got to do that. And, you know, it's not going to just come. Right. Because you got to off on the most incredible, magical, crazy track, but you didn't go exactly to where you said you wanted to go. So maybe you'll end up there now. That's very interesting. It's it, Maria Shriver had said to me, because it sounds like your childhood, that her family what was expected of her was that you were going to have purpose. Like you would, you would be contributing to the world. And I don't know that that many people talk in that way to their kids. We're also worried about our kids being emotionally, uh, you know, use your inside voice and how are you feeling? And everybody needs to get in a medal and whatever, but we don't talk that much about like, no, you're, you're here 
to contribute something to the world. No one ever told me that. No yeah. one ever told me that. It's just, so I think that that's something that a lot of the people who have been on the show who are very successful and, and have really had compelling lives have had families that instilled that into them. You, you're, you know, some people have said, use me, meaning how, how can I be used of use? And it sounds like you've definitely done that, but how to really mm. contribute. It's such a simple thing. Absolutely. You know, I opened the book with a letter I found that my dad had written this sort of diary page. I found it after he'd passed away. He died when I was 17 and I found it 20 years later, 26 years later. I found this letter and it basically said, you know, let others say what they will or do what they will. You are responsible in the first instance to yourself, your principles and values, and ultimately to your higher power, following whatever it is that makes you feel as though you were doing good purpose in the world. My parents showed us by example. They didn't often say you have to do this, you have to do that. All they said was we require you to be educated. What you do with that education is your choice, mm -hmm. but it should be used, you know, it should be used for good. And when I walked into the White House, you know, I wasn't even a Democrat when I went to go work in the Clinton administration. It wasn't about that. It was feeling the to the use the word you used, feeling purposeful, feeling like you were helping people. And it does something here. And even now I find it very hard to explain to people that feeling of walking in to a gymnasium during a campaign, into somebody's living room, into, into a, a, you know, a hospital. When you're on a mission and you know that if this mission is successful, you are carrying this person's hopes, dreams, fears, aspirations. That's your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if your candidate wins or your mission wins, you can maybe help that person. There is nothing as good as that feeling. Yes, that's so true. It's funny because I learned something today. I want, we all say, I just want my kids to be happy. And I say to my daughter, I want you to be happy. And we do, yeah. but I don't say I want you to be purposeful. Probably because I'm so intentional about everything that I don't think about drilling that into her. And she's also 11, but I just like that as a thread for us all to sort of think about. Cause that's a good, just yeah. change a little shift in the way we think about how we're messaging them. Cause I tell her, I want her to help people and we do charity and you don't know what it's like X cause she hasn't seen all these people that live in peril, but that's just a nice way to, to frame it. I want to know what it was like just every day working at the white house. Does it feel like every other workplace environment or, or is there a sense of pride and does it feel elevated and more important every day? You know, workplace antics, water cooler conversation. Does everybody just sort of, you know, is the game just moving a little more quickly and does it seem a little more elevated? Day to day working in the White House was nothing less than awe-inspiring. I write in the book in detail about what it felt like walking up to those black wrought iron gates, walking down the driveway uh, into these historic buildings, the White House, the residence, the white building everyone's familiar with. But I worked in the old executive office building now called the Eisenhower Building, which is this French empire style, very large grand structure that I described as looking very much like a wedding cake, in an old wedding cake. Um, but it was nothing less than just thrilling. And you were grounded in that sense of history, walking down those marble hallways, walking down that red carpet and up those steps, you know, bent by years of people walking up and down them. And this sort of hushed silence that you felt when you walked through the state floor and the residents, it felt almost um, otherworldly. It felt... 
um, in some ways sacred um, because it was uh, a space that not a lot of people had an opportunity to live, work, and operate in. So to every day, you know, that was my first job, and so I had nothing really to compare it to. Um, it felt a lot more elevated uh, than your average experience, and you saw it in the daily work. You saw it in the people coming in from around the world. You saw it in the press conferences and the ribbon cuttings and the signing ceremonies and the announcements that there was important work happening every day that affected not just our country uh, and the people in it, but uh, around the world. And because it was an administration so actively involved in both you know, domestic policy and foreign policy, uh, it was an overwhelming uh, experience. And, and, and the number of pinch me moments I had, uh, I cannot even count. So it, it felt like a tremendous privilege to be in some small way a representation, a representative of this administration as it tried to do the work. And there's nothing like it. I bet everybody remembers their very first job. So for me at 21, for this to be the experience, um, I couldn't even you know, write a better uh, fictional uh, story. It was really amazing. So how do you navigate all of these treacherous waters? Like how, it seems like, has it all been worth it? All the craziness like mm. that you've been through, the mud, all of it? I mean, it sounds like it's, it can't, the good can't outweigh it by a mile. I mean, it sounds like it's been pretty brutal. And you also wanted to talk about it in this book. Did you, when you finished, did you forget anything? Did you say, damn, I should have talked about that? Or did you get it all out? And then in thinking about it, how did you do it? And was it worth it? It was absolutely worth it. And for me, writing it was therapy. And actually one of the things that I've learned since the book has been out is that, you know, to process it is one thing, but I'm going to be working on myself and working on, you know, all the things I went through for the rest of my life. It's like a, it's a, it's a journey. It's not, but it, I'm glad to have closed that chapter of my life, you know, in terms of my marriage, which did fall apart on national TV. And in one of the reasons it was so hard because I was in this what I believed was a perfect relationship. I had a man who loved me. I thought I was living a fairy tale. I opened a chapter in my book about waking up at Buckingham Palace, you know, finding out, you know, I knew I was pregnant. I was carrying the secret pregnancy. I was 36, he was 47. No one ever thought, you know, back then at least they would say, oh, you're never gonna get pregnant. You're, you know, you're both old. And so we just had this gift. I mean, I cherish that year and a half of just, you know, absolute happiness that I had with him. and. I would, uh, I can't even say that I regret being with him because he gave me my son. He gave me the thing I live for now. And, um, and if I did not believe that Hillary Clinton would not have been an incredible president, it would have been a little bit different, but the mission was worth it. Mm -hmm. The mission in 2008 was worth it to me. The mission in 2016 is worth it to me. So I can't look back on any of it and say that I regretted it. I also want to know something that I'm sure so many people have thought about and asked and reflected on in their own relationships. And it is what, what exactly, if you could, it's probably not just one thing, but what made you stay and what made you forgive unless you just stayed, but you didn't forgive. So did you stay and then learn to forgive? Did you stay for other people and factors besides yourself? And do you regret staying? To choose to stay and to choose to forgive for me were actually not the same thing and didn't happen at the same time. I've stayed after Anthony's first revelation 
in large part because I was a newlywed. I loved my husband. I had made a commitment um, to be in a relationship with him for the rest of my life. I was madly in love. I thought I was living a fairy tale and I was carrying his child. I was not even 12 weeks pregnant when the story broke uh, of his betrayal. And so I was, you know, just living in shock and anger and, and, you know, slowly over time, a fair amount of bitterness and resentment towards him. But it, it wasn't, it was a choice I made and the choice I made was to stay. Um, and the forgiveness took a while. I, the forgiveness uh, came after a period of time where I, we, went, we had to go into therapy. We had to work on our marriage. He had to show that um, he had, you know, learned something from his transgression. And, um, and frankly, it felt as though to me it was two different people. The person I read about in the paper or I'd heard about in the paper was not the person I was married to. Uh, in my mind and my experience that I had. And I had a very hard time reconciling that over periods of time. It's just a very different, two different, you know, people. And the forgiveness came over a long period of time. And then to truly forgive, we had to actually go through an even harder time in our marriage several times, two more times. And, and I had to learn that the marriage was not salvageable. We just couldn't survive um, as a married couple and we had to go through this very painful process called a disclosure process, which we did, and came out on the other side and are better for it. But it's work, and it's something you work on when you're in a relationship with somebody who you share a child with, whether you're married or not. You have to work on that relationship for the rest of your lives, and we will continue to do that. And some days are easier than others. Some days are hard. Some days are impossible, and some days are great. Um, but to forgive uh, was really a gift I gave myself because otherwise I was suffering with all of the anger and the bitterness and the resentment and the confusion. And, and I'm glad I did. And I, I, I'm glad I had help getting there. Well, what's come to me in therapy and different people who have what I call quote unquote successful relationships, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It just means that they've sustained and they have tools is that yeah. we don't work on the other person. We work on ourselves. So you, whoever your partner is and whatever you went through, like you can't quote unquote fix another person. You can't work on the other person. You can just work on yourself. And it's funny because I guess it's, it's so obvious to everyone and there have been documentaries, but I, I didn't really think about it until today about what support you and Hillary must have been for each other and what a mentor and advice and as women supporting men publicly for their own reasons. I mean, I said to her, like a whole, however many years they've been married isn't defined by headlines, but you know, just like every everybody's relationship isn't defined by Valentine's Day. It's defined by a million stories that no one ever hears. I don't think your entire relationship is what we read about in the paper. So, cause my assistant, I said, I don't, I, I, I don't know if they're still together. I know they are good co-parents about you. And she said, well, that, that's good night. I like that, that she support, you know, she supports him. Meaning that you're, it seems to me from the very little that I know that you're a support system for your ex, regardless of what you've been through. And you're working on yourself and you're hoping that he's working on himself. You're doing your own journey. Well, you know, Bethany, that is something that I had to learn the hard way. I mean, at the beginning, when our marriage first fell apart, all I could think of was I have to fix it. I have to fix my family. And so for me, 
it was let's so we went to therapy in Texas and then, you know, it ha- obviously it happened again and again with him. I didn't understand addiction. I didn't understand the, the mental health challenges. I mean, as somebody, and you and I talked earlier about control and I was somebody who was so mm-hmm. controlled my whole life. I could manage everything. And so for me, I thought, my God, we're doing the most important work in the world. You're doing this destru- deeply destructive, ridiculous, juvenile behavior. Just knock it off. Mm-hmm. Just stop. Right. And so I did think I could fix him. And if I could fix him, that fixed our marriage and that fixed our relationship. It took me a few years to understand that I could not. And then meanwhile, here I was enduring suffering from PTSD, suffering from the betrayal. The tra- I mean, even now, as I'm approaching new relationships, I realize that I there is something that's very tender and vulnerable of like, am I am I really ready to have my heart broken again? Because it was shattered in a million pieces in front of the entire world. And that's the point I was making of we're constantly, you know, working on ourselves, but we are, you know, we're not together as a couple, but we will be co-parents forever. And I realize I share a story in the book about when he was away in prison and my son, you know, I, I was so angry. I had so much bitterness towards him for so long for everything he we'd lost because of his behavior and realized that my son was actually suffering by not seeing his dad. And so for me, it's, I need my, my, the father of my child to be strong and healthy mentally and emotionally and physically so he can be a good dad. Because ultimately it's all about the next generation, in my opinion. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. 
So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I be strong has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. I was talking about it recently with people um, in divorces and custody struggles. A judge said to me, a custody battle is watching your child drowning on the end of the dock, swimming, begging for help, and you can't rescue them. Like, and I almost cry. It's, it's, yeah. it's about them. It's whatever's best for them. And having a positive relationship with the other parent is what's best for them. It defines future relationships in every area. Um, so how much do you, what percentage of anger do you still have, if any? Because they say holding on to anger is drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. So how much? <laughs> the last chapter of my book is, is called Suffering is Optional. And it is because I do think I lived for many years with a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness, particularly towards Anthony and generally at the world. And why is, I did a lot of why is this happening and why is this happening to me? And it was only when I realized that, and that's the, you know, that saying, which is a whatever, a lot credit to a lot of people, including Rumi, that pain might be necessary, but suffering is optional, that I had been in pain, I had suffered pain, but I was suffering, it, it, it was, I was suffering and it was only hurting me. It wasn't hurting any of the external exactly. forces. It was actually slowly killing me. And I, you know, I had to get the lowest, lowest point. You know, I got, I had very, uh, frankly, just suicidal thoughts. And, uh, and as somebody who has faith and has family, and you talked about my relationship with Hillary has a incredibly supportive group of female friendships. I will tell you, even when I'm struggling now, I will always go back to those core places. I go to my faith. I go to my boss. I go to who is a, my mentor as well, but I go to my girlfriends also and realize that that's where, um, I get a lot of strength, but we had to go get professional help. When I realized I started having very bad thoughts about doing something to myself, I needed help. I needed help getting out of this hole. I could not do it alone. It was brutal. The process we went through, I get um, it. I get it was it. so hard but what I learned, and this is what I get up every single day that I feel sorry for myself. We were in Paris over the weekend for work and I was having a really rough time. And, and, but I still get up every single day and think if I have it bad, somebody has it worse. And for me, oh, totally. that is always what gets me to the other side. 
And I, I went through an almost 10 year uh, divorce process on a two year marriage mm. and a custody battle. And I thought of it like golf. I'm at the first hole. I'm at the fourth. And then I went back to the second because I thought I was at the 12th and I was really at the ninth. Like, you know, when you drag back, you thought you were out and you're on the way out and you were really oh, only yeah. half. Okay, you've been there. Um, and that helped me. But also probably, you know, you know, having a public voice, knowing that I would be able to eventually, hopefully, I didn't know I would survive something and then have a story to tell, which is what you're doing in this book. Like right. that you, at least it's not for you to just tell one girlfriend. You get to tell millions of people your story that on the other side and how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and how, when you're going through such personal pain, that's not even, all of it's not even rational. You know, you're having very negative, hurtful, harmful thoughts. How do you do that for people going through that with a son? How, how do you compartmentalize? How did you manage that? Because I've done that too. What was your coping mechanism to compartmentalize your suffering and then your son? I was lucky that I managed to show up for him. I mean, you know, and he was five at the time. So I think when you have a, especially when you have a child who needs, literally needs you to to be fed and to be bathed and all that. It was a number one, it was a great distraction from thinking. I've always been very good at compartmentalizing. Um, I think it's how I made it through. I mean, even, you know, when everything fell apart in my marriage, uh, I was working at the state department. So the idea of feeling sorry for myself and then going to, you know, the middle East or Asia and Africa and working on these really important diplomatic missions, I immediately would turn on the switch saying, okay, I have to do my work. With Jordan, it was very similar. I would come home and just wrapping him in a hug just made me feel like that was therapy for me. Tender, that, yeah. needed it. Just And there were nights, and I write about this, I would just crawl into his bed with him and just cuddle because I I needed that for me, and I got something out of I it. I get that so much. It's like feeding. It's so yes. good. It's yes. so true. So um, I spoke to Cheryl Sandberg here, who is, is the number two to Mark Zuckerberg as you know, and she described the job description and yours is more of an evolution. But when she was talking to him about, uh, she said, I want to do everything you don't want to do. That's my job to do what you don't want to do. Not about, not like she has a terrible job. She has a pretty great job. Yep. But um, being the number two, uh, I wonder what exactly, how do you describe what your job and your purpose is and was for Hillary? And do you ever feel like you're in the shadows and like you, you, you know, not, not to, for anyone's fault, but when you're constantly yep. trying to support and take care of someone else, yep. where does that leave you? Where's your own identity separate from hers? Well, the mental, I mentally was in the shadows for a long time. I liked it. I was not, you know, I didn't, I didn't like being the center of attention. I share mm -hmm. a story in the book that even on my wedding day, when I walked, when I started walking down the aisle, I realized, oh my God, everyone's looking at me and I hated it. I actually <sighs> right. did not like, so, it, and maybe that's just my genetic makeup. I, I was fine being in the shadows, but it's funny that you talk about Cheryl because I do think I had a very similar, the role that I had and have with my boss is I often am the bad guy. I mean, people come with all kinds of crazy ideas. We right. should do this and we should launch this and we've got this project. We should explore that. And I, you know, I, I, I would say sometimes, my office is often where dreams come to die because <sighs> I'm the no person. And it is a, you need somebody, and especially when you're at that operating at that level as, you know, the job that Cheryl has or the job that, you know, Hillary's had over the years, 
you need that person who can be the bad guy, the person who's managing, okay, how do we actually use our time? What is right. the best way to help more people? What is the smart thing to do? And a lot of it's managing, a lot of it's just, you know, as you said, I think you mentioned this earlier, it's just the diplomacy and figuring out how to talk to people and deal with people and to be able to look forward, not to be so in the nitty gritty, but to think about- The chessboard not checkers. Are you, um, so you say you're a workaholic and I want to know what the definition of a workaholic is because I need downtime. I take it, I stack and stack. So it's so crazy. So I then can take it, but then maybe it's too feast or famine. So I'm curious what your definition of workaholic is. So my dad always told me when I was growing up that a good life is a balanced life, but I did not follow that advice at all. I, <laughs> I, 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 in fact, you know, recount so clearly being at a family wedding uh, in 1997 and getting a call uh, from the White House saying, do you want to go to Argentina for the first lady? And I left the wedding. I immediately said yes. Like I called that my fork in the road moment where on the one hand, right in front of me was one path, getting married, family, community, just having this wonderful weekend. And the other was jumping on a plane to Buenos Aires. I jumped on the plane. While married? No, no. This is when I, when I was a 22-year-old, young staff person. Oh, because I was going to ask about that personality in a relationship. Well, let, like, let me- So that, that had to, okay, let, go ahead. Let me tell you what I'm now realizing. One of the things about what was unique about my relationship with Anthony was that he had the same job that Hillary had and that he was a member of, he got it. And that is hard. It's hard in relationships. It was hard when I was dating before I married Anthony. It's hard now when people are like, wait, you're going off to what, where, what? You know, I'm sure you've, you know, we can be intimidating women for, uh, you know, somebody to ask out or do, so, you know, uh, ask out on a date. And I get all that, but I chose going to work. And for me, it was constantly, my days would start at five, 6 a.m. and they would go till midnight. I never mm -hmm. stopped. I would, I would fall asleep responding to emails. I'd get up in the middle of the night responding to emails. I mean, that is how I functioned. I didn't. I get it. Nobody functions like that anymore, by the way. It's not the Lork life balance. Nobody and does. It's not, I know. It's, it's really a breed. And you would love many of the people I speak to here, Ian Schrager, he's like, it's in me. It's in my blood. It's 24 hours a day. Mm. It's very, it's like a, this is like a support group for people <laughs> like us who understand each other because I get it. I've done it all from the bottom to the top. I fully get it. But I'm wondering as you get into the dating pool and date, just because Anthony got it doesn't mean that's good for a relationship. Just because you're both talking about the thing the whole time in the business, you could be sucking the life out of the relationship without even realizing it. There has to be a balance there. So true. So, so, so true. I mean, I did find that, you know, that certain people, it was hard, you know, I would be at events till late at night. So I said, do you want to just come to the dinner? Do you want to just come to the fundraiser? Do you want to just come to the cocktail party? And the first couple of times, the guys would always say, sure. And then after a few times, they'd say, why don't you call me when you're done? And we could, yeah, like it's a, and I would, and I write about this in the book that my male colleagues never seemed to have this problem. Like the women who were their dates at these totally. glamorous parties in New York back in the nineties and the two thousands, they loved being at these receptions. And I felt like it was a very guy girl thing. And maybe that's just me, but that was certainly my experience that it was, it was, it was much harder for me to date just, you know, somebody who didn't understand, um, 
understand that world. And I'm just trying to figure it out. I have found balance though. I mean, now, and mm-hmm. my millennial staff remind me of it all the time. I'll say, let's do a call on Saturday. And they'll say, we're not doing a call on Saturday. <laughs> you know, That's hilarious. I, well, the guys, the guys who would want to be there, that's red flags. Yeah. Because sometimes you, I bet don't, you have to know, yes. don't let everybody, don't give everybody the keys to the kingdom until they've earned them. Cause you're going to bring them into these events. These people, you know, you know, by their first names, to them would be their millennium. You know what I mean? So you have to be careful because you don't want to give them the keys to the kingdom until they deserve. That's a trust. Well said. (laughs) You know? Um, uh, So is there anything good about Hillary not winning? Has there anything been positive overall for both of you, for her, for the whole experience uh, in learning, et cetera, but her not winning? You know, I get up Every, I, and it's not an exaggeration. Every day I think about how the, I believe the world would have been a better place if she had won in 2016. Um, I think the only good thing about her not winning is that she's been able to spend quality time with her family and particularly her grandchildren. And she seems to really, not seems, she revels in it. I mean, mm-hmm. just to see the joy on her face when we're traveling uh, and one of her grandchildren or her daughter FaceTimes her, it just lights up her life. And if she were president right now, she just would not have had that time and no way. capacity to be doing all these things with them, to plant a garden with them, to go on these long walks and hikes and family vacations. So if you're asking me, which no one's asked me, by the way, the one thing, that's it for her. And I say that for her. Yeah. I think that is something that, you know, she's gotten. I still think, you know, she had so much to offer the world and the country um, but to, you know, she, she is a glass half full person. I'm often the glass half empty, but I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to try to be better about it. Um, I would say that's what it is. And what about for you? Um, wow. We're working on yourself, writing the book I maybe. Think, yeah. I think, I think working on, look, if she'd won, I obviously would not have written the book. I wasn't sure what I was going to do if she'd won. I was sort of agnostic about going back to Washington. I'd been, I'd worked in the white house. I'd sort of to some extent, been there, done that. I didn't know what my job, all these people who thought, oh my God, you must've been for yourself, your ambitions. It's like, actually 2016 wasn't my ambition. I I did that for her. I did that campaign because she asked me to work on it. I didn't know what I would have done if she had won. Um, but I guess it, it allowed me to become emotionally and mentally healthy. You're right. I don't, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe Anthony and I would have uh, never, you know, I, I don't know. It's such a, I don't know what I, uh, maybe the book. Yes, the book for sure. It's been good therapy. And, and every time I get a message, you know, I'm not big on social media, but I've had to be on because of the book tour. And when I get messages from people, especially women talking about what the story has done for them or, you know, uh, meant to them. I mean, I ran into a woman the other day, it just happens constantly where they just, you know, either break down in tears or say, I've gone through this. And when I read your Mm -hmm. story, it helps me get through mine. I thought, all right, that's a little service. That I can- oh my God, you needed to, to go, you, you can't be half pregnant. Yes. You needed to go all the way yes. to help other people, not just for the sake of being salacious and just like, you know, you, but you, sometimes you need to say something to, to help somebody, you know, you really need to explain the story and how you feel and the truth. And, uh, it's obviously easier with, uh, wisdom and hindsight, you know, and looking at looking behind you. Um, what do you could how, what percentage lucky and what percentage smart are you? I would say 50-50. I would say it's a combination of fate, luck, hard work. Um, I never believed I was the smart. Even when I started at the White House, I was not the smartest. I was not the prettiest. I was not any of the ists. However, I was prepared to outwork everybody. 
And that is one of the reasons I got, um, I, and I was open to different things. Even now when I go to college campuses and young people say, how did you, how did you know you were mm-hmm. going to be so successful? It's, I didn't know. I had no you idea. Didn't. I had no idea. What no I did way. know was that I was prepared to put in the work. I was prepared to do the work and I was prepared to try different things. I mean, I was at a university the other day and this young man says, I'm studying engineering, but I, you know, I really like theater. I said, well, take a theater class. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't just do journalism. I did other things and look where I ended up. And so I applied for a White House internship even when I never thought I'd get it and I got it. Yeah, but yes, but it's funny you say that. So people asking, they think that you sort of, or I knew we'd be successful. Like what? You, you, and you knew that you'd work hard, but you didn't know how much other people don't work hard. So you didn't know even then. So for people listening, there are a lot of people that work really hard and are smart. There are a lot of people that don't work really hard. And there's so, for the people that are willing to work hard, you have no shot if you're not willing to really go all the way in. So if deciding whether to have a business or not, or go for it, you gotta know what you're made of. And if you're going to, you know, go through pain, not suffering, but, you really, it, it, you gotta, it, it shows you what you're made of being successful. Well, look, you're, you're an, look at the inspiration you are to so many people. I mean, what you have done with your life and that is a good model for the rest of us. It's, you can't just expect things are going to happen to you. No way. You have to Not go even out close. and get it. And even now you asked me earlier about what I want to do when I grow up. I've been wandering around for two months saying this is an amazing opportunity and I'm, you know, open to all kinds of things. Okay. But now I got to go and do something about it. No, and they might not see you in that space. You're going to have to recreate yourself. I walked into philanthropy, a nobody that couldn't get flip-flops, I swear, and rain boots for Hurricane Harvey in Texas. Nothing. I was a nobody after I'd been successful in other things. But what the hell are they going to give me their money in another world of philanthropy? I had to start from the beginning, and now it's like several hundred million dollars. It's crazy. So, yeah, you got to just – but that's the same thing as that marathon. One foot in front. Do the best you can in the moment. Do it to the best of your ability or don't do it at all. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I be strong 
has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a -a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. What is your rose and your thorn of your career? I wrote a book called Business is Personal. Your business is very personal too. They've been very unintentionally intertwined. I just thought about a lot of blend there. So what's your rose and your thorn of your career? Well, my rose and my thorn of my career, and I, I, I will start with the rose and it's not talked about very often, but it really was that um, January night in New Hampshire in 2008, when Hillary Clinton won the New Hampshire primary after several days of people telling us it could not be done and her being down on the polls and she'd lost Iowa to Barack Obama and everyone had expected her to win. And it was a time when, and I would, I argue uh, that things have not changed very much, but it was very hard for women in politics and the sexism mm-hmm. and the blatant people making comments like, oh, Hillary Clinton comes on TV. I want to involuntarily cross my legs. And everyone would laugh and, you know, no oh one God. called out the comments. No one said, don't comment on her clothes or, you know, how she talks, but to have lost. And then in those three days, and I, I remind people, and I tell the story in the book of the, you know, that was the experience where men were holding up signs saying, iron my shirt, iron my shirt. We lived in this cauldron of negativity and everyone thinking that we were about to, the whole campaign was about to fall apart. And here was this one woman who made history for your daughter, for Mm -hmm. women, girls in this country. And so I write about that moment, looking at her and thinking, wow, you know, and, and, and Mm -hmm. the reason I mention it is because it's talked about so little, no Mm -hmm. one has done since then what she's done. That was a long time ago, Bethany. No one has not a single woman has won a presidential primary or a caucus in this country and it's 2022. And what does mm-hmm. that say? Yes, so to me, so that was a, wow, was that a rose? Um, that was your dude, you're my hero moment. That was a dude, you're my hero. And that we've achieved something together that this was worth it. Yeah. And then obviously my thorn was the election night in 2016 and the Comey letter and, and that, and the experience of having to carry that with me every day, feeling some sense of responsibility in her loss in 2016. Uh, and that's right. been very hard. Yeah. The, the the phrase, the emails must make you like, 
shudder. Well, but not anymore. Now I'm all in. It's like, bring it on. Because I feel right. that when you then see what happened mm-hmm. afterwards, when you then realize there was another investigation going on at the same time about the other side that was kept private. Then when you realize that we were, you know, the, there, oh, there's nothing to see here, that it really was the story. You could just use the word emails and that was the bad word. And it was an effective tool. And it worked against her. Um, even when, you know, when you have somebody every day saying multiple times a day, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. Even if you're somebody who knows nothing. Yeah. It's just, in the it's, middle it's of America, exactly. you're like, it's a hashtag. Huh. You know, yeah. maybe, huh, maybe she did something. I don't know what, but maybe. You don't even know what you're talking. Exactly. It's just programming. It's so true. Do you, um, are you Teflon now? Do you even care what people think anymore? You must've cared so much and you had to live it every day and polls and you being part of it and you don't like attention. You don't like a good or a bad. You're at least one of these people that doesn't want to relish in the positive, but then hate the negative. You don't want it either way. So you had it, but do you now just feel like who gives a shit? Like what they think. I've been through everything. I've been through the mud. Here we go. I'm Teflon now. Yes. Yes. I don't, you know, even I've, I've even found it at dinner parties, uh, in the, well, pre COVID obviously. Um, but post 2016 and before, you know, even when I was a diplomat and, you know, people would say, Oh, well, if only Hillary had done this, if only if you guys did this, if you did that. And I would very politely like just sit and listen. And now I just go right at it and say, all right, let's unpack this. What's your argument? Why? I have no, I don't care about the negative. I, 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 um, I think that my boss could wander around and say, I told you so to a lot of people these days and she'd be right. Um, so it doesn't bother me at all. I, I, you know, I think I still have a little bit of, of trauma over my personal sort of, you know, I'm trepidatious on the personal front a little bit. I meant that too. No, I meant in general. Yeah. I meant just like, if you're written about, do you care? Does it still hurt your feelings or you've been through no. the war? That's what I thought I would imagine. It's because I, I'm not to that level, but I know what that feels like. And it's a good feeling. I know you who do. Who cares? I know you do. The first time yes. you read your name in print, you were like, what are they? And then you just get, who cares? Keep going. You know, it's a yes. nothing. It's a, it's a day ending and why. So I was just wondering yes. how that was with you. Yes. One of the things I did for my mental health, I don't, I don't read the tabloids. I just don't, you know, I'm not thankfully in them, in the, in, in them anymore. And I, but it was, although it was a regular occurrence and, and I would, you know, I immediately tense up at the beginning. I know you get an email from a publicist oh. and you're like, yes. what? Someone's been through my purse. Yes. I have a kilo of cocaine that I've never done. Like, you're just like, what's wrong with me? Something's in my trunk. I have a dead racing. in there. We're always I know. racing yeah. for the coil. And the book at one point was called Racing. I spent so much of my life racing for what, you know. White knuckling the whole thing. Yes. All right. So tell the listeners the name of your book and just simply why you wrote it, which I think is clear already, but. My memoir is called Both And, A Life in Many Worlds. And I wrote it because I wanted to share my story. I was tired of everyone else to the point we, we were just having a conversation about people telling our truths. And I wanted to tell my own truth, reclaim my story. And and it's uh, it's been an amazing experience to be able to share with the world. And it's got everything from faith to family, to friendship, to love and heartbreak and how to make it in this world. And it's a coming of age story in a way that I'm so proud to be able to share with uh, the readers. Well, I am so honored to have met you. It was such a great conversation. I'm so surprised at the commonalities I, that I'm, I'm shook a little, you know? I just didn't think I'd have anything in common with you necessarily. I, I mean, you're a strong woman, smart, but I, this is amazing. Uh, wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation. I feel exactly exactly the same way. I've been such a fan and admirer of yours from afar. I was thrilled to be asked to be on this podcast and I would love 
to maybe have a chance to, you know, have another conversation with you sometime. I'd love to. 100%, we'll get together. That'd be great. Have a great day and good luck and congratulations. And I'm happy for you. That was Huma Abedin. She's amazing. She was interesting. I love the conversation. She's telling us her story in her own words without just being judged by headlines and me just trying to trigger her and get her to say things that can be picked up in the press. It's just not what we do. I just told her it's not a gotcha conversation. I just want to talk and hear who she is because she's an interesting, fascinating person who's seen a lot. And I think you'll enjoy the conversation regardless of your political views or mine. I have everyone on this show and I don't care if someone is a Republican or a Democrat or who they work for. I care about what they have to say and what they've been through. So remember to rate, review and subscribe and have a wonderful day. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly, I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.